and unsurpassed, penetrating and perfect dharma, is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. Having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept, I vow to taste the truth of the Tathagata's words. <clears throat> so it really is all about being human together. You know, we are just past the 10th year anniversary of Catherine's passing, and most of us, but not all of us, knew Catherine well. And hopefully um, those who are new within the last few years will recognize that um, Catherine's influence continues. I myself find it difficult to speak of Catherine in the past tense still, because I find that uh, there are so many ways in which she continues to teach me. Now, in this time when there are so many things that are upside down in the world, I find myself asking, you know, how do I know what to do? What is the right thing? What is the right response? And I'm reminded of the many times that Catherine encouraged us to look no farther than our own practice. Catherine frequently, with dignity and with grace, engaged the rituals of temple life. And uh, so many times, just her being the way she was, very human, uh, so completely herself. She at some point described it as, I spent many years trying to not be Catherine, but the more I practiced, the more Catherine I became. And this echoes what Suzuki taught, I believe. When you are you, Zen is Zen. So fully allowing ourselves to be the ones we are in the conditions that we have at any given moment and responding fully in that moment. So Catherine, with great, I believe, dignity, brought her whole self to ritual experience. Her posture, her pace, her movements. Um, this, for me, pointed at what I now understand her to have been saying. This is what Zazen mind looks like in activity. And I believe that what she was doing there was helping us bridge the gap between the experience on the cushion and our everyday lives. <clears throat> She said more than once in a variety of ways, but particularly as quoted in the book, The Truth of This Life. Uh, she said, Zen practice directs us to that quality of mind that simply observes. It is called not knowing mind, the awake mind, the mind of readiness. At first we cultivate that mind in the meditation room then we bring it to each situation of our lives. In that very deep and very 
um, accessible teaching. She taught us something. I would like to share my, I'll dare to share my screen again. This one has no sound, but I want to show you a picture, two pictures actually. It'll take me a second to get there. Mm. Here it is. And I'm looking to you. Can you see that picture okay? No, no picture yet. Oh. Hmm. Let me try again. How about now? Yes, that's a picture right here. The first person that we see is Catherine. She is in the Green Gulch Farm kitchen and right next to her, Michael Wanger. And right next to him, Ann Johnson. This picture was taken in 1977 when Catherine was just a little over 50 years old. And she had already been practicing residentially for five years by that point. So, 1977, and I'm now going to fast forward to 2010. How does one go from the kitchen of Green Gulch Farm to being abbot of Zen Center? And this, I believe, is one of the final pictures taken of her, taken by Edie. And she chose this picture uh, as one of her final pictures, you know, uh, devotionally, beautifully, gracefully on the mat, raising her palms. So that movement from 1977 to the year 2010, how does that happen? Again and again, returning to Zazen. She was, at that time in the early years, benefiting from the efforts of other people to set up a meditation hall, to set up the community, uh, set up the conditions to see for oneself that this very mind is awake mind. What do we need to do to cultivate it? Uh, we cultivate it in Zazen. So setting up the conditions, she benefited from that and chose again and again to offer that to us as a community. So Santa Cruz and Monterey together benefited deeply from her teaching. So Monterey, as you know, is going to participate on July 24th with us to produce an event in honor of Catherine. Um, first with some ceremony, then with an opportunity to share and then with an opportunity for some social interaction. So what are the conditions that we train in? What is it that Catherine taught us to do? Zazen, of course, and ritual and community interaction, all three. We would recognize these as Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. The recognizing one's own true nature as part of Zazen 
And when we are in ritual, you know, here's how I feel it. When we're doing those initial bows uh, before service, I feel preparing myself to humbly receive the teaching. Then we have the recitation and we can hear that teaching from the ancients. And then at the end, we bow again in gratitude for having heard the teaching. This is the sequence that we repeat again and again. So this ritual practice is actually study because we're hearing what the ancients taught. And where do we apply this? Of course, in community, that's our only option. <laughs> it's it's uh, not so helpful to be alone. It, it, uh, I, that's a poorly phrased. It's very helpful to be alone and become deeply self-reflective. And then we apply that in our lives in interaction with other people. So is Zen practice the only place to get this? Well, no, of course not. But Zen practice is one of the places where we can get this. And even our simple walking meditation, when we're in the Zendo together, <clears throat> Uh, the training is to stay equidistant from each other uh, and maintain a similar pace. So the, this is the practice of knowing where the body is in relationship to other bodies, other humans, not just bodies. And is our Zen practice the only place? Well, no, because COVID has taught us this very same thing, awareness of our social space in the grocery store and post office and so on, wherever we go. Uh, Catherine has another bit in her book. You know, this book that I'm reading from The Truth of This Life, you've probably have seen it. If you have not yet seen it, it will be available to you on the Memorial Day. <clears throat> I'll read one little paragraph from it. She said, and I'm pausing for a moment, this book is basically a collection of her transcribed talks that have been edited for clarity and so on, but it's really just her talking. She said, before I begin my talk, I settle myself on my cushion, just as you have all settled yourselves, and then we chant. Chanting is a ritual pause it's also an activity complete in itself. If I begin to speak immediately after entering, you might not be ready to listen, and I might not be ready to speak. Readiness takes time. That is, readiness to be wholeheartedly and undividedly here. This was her way of expressing the value of ritual for entering any activity and then exiting any activity. The framing or the before and after parentheses around our activities is a way of uh, allowing us to arrive there completely. Arriving there so completely allows us to kind of loosen the grip that our existing conditions might have on us so that we can be in that situation completely. 
And I believe that the forms of our school are designed to have us work with this kind of allowing ourselves to drop the conditions or allowing us to work with preferences. The forms of practice are not complex, complicated. They're not complex. And they're consistent from Suzuki Roshi's time through Catherine up to now. And they're actually quite consistent with Soto Zen internationally. You heard me speak a couple of weeks ago about our experience at Upaya. And I mentioned, you know, that you'll feel, if you go there ever, you would feel very much at home because the forms are quite similar. Ever so slight differences, but you would feel right at home. Catherine's way of enacting the forms was graceful, and she had a high standard for the timing and the interactive nature of the bells and boughs, uh, and yet totally relaxed. So there, when we in the early years, when we were learning the sequence of bells, uh, and if it wasn't coming out quite right, she'd say, okay, let's stop. Can we try that again? <laughs> and we'd be go right back to the beginning of service and begin it again. So her standard was really quite high, and yet it was very clear that she was not performing. This was not performative. She was totally relaxed, and she had adapted what I would say are the Japanese ways. They're very nuanced, and in the early years, we could barely perceive the nuances, honestly. Uh, the location of the eyes, where the chin, where the hands, the position of the shoulders, and so on, the movement we could barely perceive. But I believe that her practice, and she demonstrated again and again, that her practice was a physical practice. And ritual not as a meritorious practice, ritual simply as an expression of bringing zazen mind into activity. And then there were times when she would just drop that completely and sitting on the teaching seat and swear, you know, <laughs> every once in a while some little swear word would slip out or something like a phrase, far out, she'd say, <laughs> it would slip out. And, uh, you know, see, so she would drop the uh, presumption of hierarchy and just be completely her own self. And this to me is an expression of the way in which she was not attached to outer form. She was not attached to meritorious practice. She was not attached to performance in any way. And I believe that she expressed this as um, if it were meritorious, that would be a diluted understanding, not, not in accord with the way. Uh, she echoed what Dogen taught frequently, simply don't strive, just be ordinary. And we've heard in recitation of the Fukan Zazengi, the instructions for Zazen, uh, it is a matter of everydayness. So Catherine was quite expert at this. Mm -hmm. 
she would again and again ask, well, what are you seeking? As if there was something to prove or something that one was striving for. And she would express this as, you know what, you're just making more conditions if you're striving for something. You're just perpetuating the cycle of karmic activity if you're uh, striving for something. I think in uh, there's a book written called Zen Ritual by two experts and scholars named uh, the last names are Hine and Wright. In this book, Wright expresses, um, Dale Wright, I think his name. It's worth noting that there is no word in Buddhist language that corresponds exactly to our word ritual. And he brings forward in that book the word Gyoji. And this is observances or uh, simply the way things are done. I'm reminded right now of um, my mother-in-law, Kathy's mom, who spoke French and uh, in her kitchen, I'd be working and she'd kind of come up, sidle alongside me and say in French, um, ce n'est pas comme on fait. And that would translate as, uh, this is just not the way it's done. <laughs> so she was scolding me, you know, and then she would turn that over into, well, let me show you <clears throat> the way it's done, the way one would expect it to be. So this Gyoji is similar, I believe, to what my mother-in-law was expressing. This is the way it's done. And you might remember <clears throat> my, me having mentioned to you uh, Tomoe Kadagiri. Uh, she's known as the matriarch of Zen sewing in the West. <clears throat> Used the word Gyoji to be saying, this is being congenial with the Dharma. Uh, doing things the way things are done is being congenial with or being in accord with the Dharma. So this expression of um, what does it take to be in accord with and then express it completely in our own way. Uh, we, we can only do it our own way. Uh, again, in the book Zen Ritual, Wright expresses it as, uh, can we make the connection between the meditation training and activity? It is the character and the presence of mind that is developed in meditation that provides the character required to apply it in daily life. And, um, you know, sometimes our practices are looked at as a way of getting something or being instrumental for becoming more patient or becoming more kind. Uh -huh. um, but actually, the way Dogen and many teachers since that time have, Dogen spoke of, of it this way, the zazen I speak of is not learning meditation practice, it is simply the dharma gates of peace and bliss. Mm -hmm. 
So the way many teachers have talked about meditation is not that it is a uh, instrument aimed at obtaining a sense of spirituality or heightened awareness, but rather that it is um, a ritual enactment of awareness itself that we then apply in our lives. <clears throat> or maybe another way to say that it's not a means towards some future realization, but it is an, a complete expression of being aware at any given moment. Very hard to express. I'm sorry, I'm struggling a little bit. There may be influences of other places you have practiced or other teachers you have experienced and you can come across um, me or anyone else who's kind of stumbling along and say, oh, well, not this teacher. This teacher is not expressing it completely. I want some other teacher. Or, oh, well, no, not this community. This community has problems. I want some other community. <laughs> but, you know, catch yourself. Catch it. Because what you're really saying is, oh, no, I don't want this life. I want some other life. But this practice is embrace this life, this one. This is the one you've got. We become lighthearted about our preferences and we recognize them simply as preferences. We have, it's fine to have affinity for a variety of aspects of practice. You know, like some people come in through gardening and some people come in through sewing. Some people come in through the meditation hall itself. Some people want to learn the bells and do the voice. Other people really are not interested in ringing bells and doing voice, but would really rather participate in small group conversation. Whatever your doorway, that's fine. It's your affinity. And yet, Let's please not let ourselves get caught by, oh, no, not this one, <laughs> some other one. So, <clears throat> zazen itself is an expression of uh, uh, mm, I have to say it the other way around. Um, um, Buddhahood or awakeness, uh, or bodhi mind, awake mind, is not a f consequence of zazen. <laughs> it's actually the other way around. We bring awake mind to zazen. It's an expression of our already existing awake mind. So when we have this view, we're doing what uh, Biata talked about a couple of weeks, was this last week, I think? playing in the empty dharma field, playing, lighthearted, easy. Uh, when we bring this right view, what we've done is expanded our perceptual field beyond and good and bad, but um, including good and bad. <laughs> We're fl fluidly bringing forward present moment awareness and sharing the experience of being human. 
So our rituals, bowing together, chanting together, are aimed at um, experiencing non-separation. What does it feel like to move our bodies together? What does it feel like to raise our voices together? Uh, and uh, these rituals that Catherine taught us enable us to express together in an intuitive way, beyond words, really, uh, but in a visible and in a tangible way, we can express this truth of interconnection. Besides zazen and studying, it is important to bring ritual into our lives. Therefore, I want you to know that Practice Committee will be talking on Monday about the possibility of returning to in-person practice on Wednesday evenings. And we would continue um, providing a Zoom option, but potentially returning on Wednesday evenings to the actual Zendo within our seating capacity and continuing to keep each other safe from COVID. Catherine's teaching of bringing wholehearted awareness to the present moment. Each situation is lived fully with the mind and heart <clears throat> totally absorbed in what we're doing. Our, the ritual presence that we um, skillfully learn in the Zendo, uh, we bring our attention to form, we bring our attention to posture, to eyes, to chin, to voice, and so on. Uh, and then we are able to apply that to um, everyday life. Ordinary activities, such as eating and dressing, taking a bath, in the monastic setting are all ritualized. Before bathing, chant this chant. After bathing, chant that chant. Before eating, this sequence of chants. After eating, that sequence of chants, and so on. These rituals, uh, we can experience the interdependence of um, the person giving and the person receiving and the non-separation of this giving and receiving and the gift itself. We can deeply understand <clears throat> beyond words uh, that life has given us this, this opportunity to arrive fully in this moment. <clears throat> Sewing is another example of this, uh, bringing full attention to every stitch, bringing full attention to bowing what does it take to bow fully to the earth and stand up in a way that is not hurting our backs? Attention to every detail. The transformation of ordinary mind into awake mind is achieved through our daily ritual practice. And I believe that this very ordinariness is what Catherine demonstrated so well. Again and again, uh, encouraging us to respond to the world in a non-habitual way. And yet, uh, non-habitual and yet um, regular and predictable. How do we bring a freshness to every even 
predictable movement. I feel I have not fully expressed Catherine's gift, but maybe you may intend to go on July 24th, that Sunday afternoon, and hear other people express their understanding of the ways in which Catherine taught. The preceding day, the 23rd, we'll do a half-day sit, and part of that time will also be reflecting upon not so much what Catherine taught, but how Catherine taught. It seems very important to have a half-day sit, a time of seated meditation, honoring the following day's more active uh, acknowledgement of her teaching. It seems fitting to do both the silent and the engaged. I think this will be a fine place to stop and there may be conversation that you'd like to have. I'll do the vows and a few announcements and then I will stick around for some conversation with you. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. 